if you're not getting better, if you're not learning, you 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 know, if you're not looking to get better, you are standing still. And that I guess that's one crossover from mm. from sports is if you stand still, people are going to run past you. So you're that constant drive to be improving and mm. learning with the new trends and moving with the times. to the Kill Number podcast. I'm your host, business mentor and personal brand strategist on a mission to inspire a minimum of five people a day to take action, do something different and show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Are you one of my five a day? Keep all your messages coming. Let me know on Instagram at Kelly Lundberg Official and let me know what you've been inspired by. Was it something on this episode? Keep them coming. It makes my day and it makes my guest day knowing that it has had such an impact. Thank you in advance for being one of my five a day. If you haven't already, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help secure even more guests to come on the show and it just takes a couple of minutes. Tell me which episode you like and it just draws more attention and more credibility. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to dive into the journey of, you know, your sports journey over the years. But I want to say welcome to Dubai. You're you're still a newbie. You're under 12 months. Is that right? Yeah, thanks. Now it's been December. It's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of air miles, but it's been brilliant. Yeah. I've enjoyed the heat. Everyone was like, oh, it's going to be too hot. I've loved it. Uh, it's been great, and people have been so welcoming. Yeah, and you brought your family over as well. So you've got—is it what two kids? Yeah, my wife, and my two kids are here. My, my parents are here as well. Uh, my sister was already here working. So yeah, the family's here. We just yeah, we're just enjoying, you know, getting down to the beach and just yeah, taking it all in and enjoying the weather. Good. Well, so for those that perhaps don't know you and don't know your backstory, would you like to give us a little introduction as to who you are and what you've maybe done over the past sort of? Should we say how far back should we go? Twenty years. <laughs> as long as you want to go. Um, look, Azim Rafiq. Um, you know, I'm an ex-professional cricketer for Yorkshire and England in the 90s. I, I've got a bit of a bumpy story, a bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, we, as a family, moved over from Pakistan um, in 2001, mm-hmm. and then ended up in Barnsley. Um, everyone asked question so don't I don't know why but that's where we ended up is it just one of those let me just pick on the map I think dad dad got to answer that one so I'm not sure um yeah cricket was a love um and you know joined a local cricket club progressed my way through played for Yorkshire at a young age um yeah I represented England 19 and captained them at the World Cup um and then yeah all going well captain Yorkshire one of the youngest ever um that was my cricketing career. Uh, and then, you know, lately, last few years, I, um, you know, I spoke out on racism uh, that I suffered and the institutional racism at Yorkshire County Cricket Club, which, um, you know, through their handling became, ended up becoming quite a big story in the UK, mm-hmm. um, which has had a significant impact on my life. Um, and, you know, that's ended up m- me making the move out to Dubai, um, which, you know what, in a way, everything happens for a reason. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and uh, enjoying every minute of it. So I that's know. a very short snippet. Of, I love that. So we're going to dive into some of those parts. So had you ever played cricket before you moved to the UK? Yeah, look, growing up in Pakistan, it's um, it's the thing to do. You know, I, oh, okay. I grew up uh, playing on the streets. Um soon as I got back from school, my mum would be running around trying to catch me and I'd just be playing <laughs> cricket all night. So cricket was, uh, from a very young age, uh, it was a love. But 
you know, I only started playing, I guess, away from street cricket uh, when I when I first moved to the UK. Um, and how does like you know? Because I guess then, then maybe it's like in the UK, every little boy's dream is to be a, a famous footballer. footballer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and in Pakistan, is it that everyone wants to be a you know little boy's dream to be that famous cricketer? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's 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 like a religion. Uh, it's you know, it's um, especially when you know when I was growing up in Pakistan. Um, it was the only thing to do. Uh, things have changed a bit more. There's with, uh, you know, internet and television, there is more football and other sports, but still, you know, it is that one thing that, um, you know, everyone dreams of, uh, like, you know, like in the UK is with football. And did your parents see the potential or, or how, how did you get into then sort of being able to join a club and competes I guess competitively yeah I don't really know to be honest um dad's not a massive cricket fan uh, as such uh, you know he, he was into his working life uh mom mom watched a bit yeah. so that I guess that's where it came from a little bit but um when I moved to the UK it was just one of the things first things we looked for a cricket club just to you know just something to do I guess uh yeah. when you move to a new country it's daunting it's difficult and you know, we moved July 2001 um, and then within three months you had, um, you know, 9-11 and, th- you know, things were things were difficult for a person of colour, especially in an area like Barnsley where, you know, from what I remember at the time, we would have been, you know, one of, you know, a handful of families um, that would have been non-white. So cricket was this initial uh, first thing, I guess, to have something to do to bed into the society and, um, yeah. you know, make friends, friends. and uh, socialise. So. That was the initial, but, you know, I didn't really even know myself what professional cricket was. I don't even think till after I'd signed my first contract and played, uh, really, it was just, I love cricket and I wanted to, you know, play it. And, uh, my, you know, my parents went and tried to find a place for me to do that. What was it like signing your first um, professional contract? Was it like, oh, I'm going to get paid to do something that I love? Was it, did it feel like that? Well, actually I was, uh, so I, you know, I've got a book coming out and I was, we're just in the final stages of it. And this was the exact thing we were doing the other day, just going through some of the, some of the cricket parts. And, you know, uh, the question was very similar. How did it feel to sign the first professional contract and knowing you're now going to be paid to play? Yeah. You know what? The paid point wasn't really, didn't really sink in or really understand that uh, for a long time. I don't think um, it was more that when you first sign your contract, you get your name and number on the back. Um, and you know, you get the, you get the full kit, you get the full training kit. Um, you know, at start of the season, uh, when I was on the academy and stuff, you got some kit, um, like the professionals did, but you didn't get it all and you didn't get name and number on back. Uh, so I think just signing that contract and getting name and number, and then you're going to be part of the full professional team. Uh, yeah, just a pinch me moment and something I'm incredibly proud of. Does that number stay with you? Sorry, I'm slightly naive in that. Do you, is that your then... I always remember David Beckham was number seven, wasn't he? Now in in his days, and I'm yeah. like, I always remember that. Does it stay or? It's up to you. I think you. I mean, you ask for number, and then um, generally, then if it's available, you can have it, and then people do keep that through their career. But okay. the number that stays more in cricket is if you then further down the line, if you become a cap player. Now, a cap player is like, you know, when you've played for us you know, a long time and performed um, and you become like a first team cap player, then you go, then your number is, you know, you get given a number and that sticks with you and that goes on the board. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get that later on in 2016, um, you know, in the 
Yorkshire's over 150 year history. Mm. I think now it might be around 100, between 180, 190 people that have got that. So, you know, I got that. Uh, so that was a massive moment and that's the number that stays. But yeah, I kept my shirt number the same as well. So I've kept it. It's actually part of my branding and stuff. Uh, you know, I've kept the number 30 throughout uh, 30. part of my identity. Oh, I love that. Well, that's kind of a nice sort of step into kind of the personal brand and, and identity piece. At what point did you realize that this, that, that what you were doing playing cricket was so much more than just playing cricket from recognizing perspective and just, I guess, responsibilities of being someone who's in the limelight? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't think I did. Yeah. Uh, and I, th I don't think many sports people do. Mm. Um you know, I think we have, you know, one, we miss a lot lot of the, I guess, the growing up part of our uh, life because we are so um, intent on just, you know, being successful at, you know, getting runs, wickets. You know, you wake up in the morning, your purpose is, you know, to be better cricketer or be a better footballer, whatever that is. And, you know, the sacrifice that takes, you know, you miss, you miss family life, you miss, you know, you miss... Uh, work life I guess you know a lot of sports people are, don't go to university mm -hmm. and things so you you miss a lot of I guess the growing up part of your life so yeah. I don't think I ever did uh, while I was playing you know even the the 30 bit now I look back and clearly you know must have thought somewhere or maybe Azim Rafiq just wasn't available and thought all right have the shirt number but you know so it's not something I think I ever realized while I played cricket um mm -hmm. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years, when I spoke out, uh, again, you know, I was just a normal person, just speaking, you know, I was just a broken human being speaking from my heart. And really from that uh, and coming into the corporate world, and now now that that, you know, that part of my life, look, it's something I'm incredibly proud of and it's something that will always be, you know, with me. Mm. But now that I'm sort of, you know, I'm a lot more than that. You know, I'm, I'm more than someone who, t you know, spoke out on racism, you know, someone, you know, a whistleblower. I'm a lot more than that. And it's only now and now working with Tash and um, I guess being here as well, you know, I'm more or less starting all over again. So, um, and you've got to build yourself and build your, I guess, identity. So I'm transitioning uh, and also building, I guess, a new career and what that looks like. So it's still even, I reckon it's just now that I'm starting to learn about what that looks that like and value what that of takes. It. Yeah, yeah, and you know, as uh, you're following some of your stuff and just consistency of where, you, how you, I guess, put yourself out there, but also the colors and stuff like that. And how, in, it's very important to be consistent with that. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think going back to your question, it's really, I've, I guess, I dived into this world over the last couple of years, yeah. but then really learning now as I grow out of, um, the last facet of my life and into something, I guess, a lot more positive and uh, beautiful. You say the last, but there could be many more reinventions. This is your three, what three we should call this one. The 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 evolution yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, well, th well, that's the thing, right? You, you're always improving, and you're always, always. Uh, you know, if if you're not getting better, if you're not learning, you 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 know, if you're not looking to get better, you are standing still, and that I guess that's one crossover from mm. from sports is if you stand still. You, you're going to be people are going to run past you so you're that constant drive to be improving and mm. learning with the new trends and moving with the times is something that you know I've learned from the sport times and yeah I guess it's something you've just got to be nimble on your feet and go with it a little bit and go into the unknown yeah you'd, you'd mentioned actually when our pre-chat about sort of the connections between sport and business 
And a lot of people don't equate them to be similar, but you in your sort of in the last few years have gone, no, actually there's quite a lot of similarities in the leadership and bringing over from sports and on the field pitch to into the, the, the office. What are some of the other things that you've shared maybe in a corporate environment? Yeah, I think there's learning both ways. And, you know, the racism and the culture and stuff I've talked about mm-hmm. within sport, I think that sport can learn a lot from the corporate. I'm not saying every place is a perfect, but, yeah. you know, it's a lot further advanced in its journey uh, to be better. And I think sports is sort of still living in the dark ages a little bit with its um, behaviors and environments and cultures. So, you know, sports can learn a lot from um, you know, corporate environments in terms of uh, culture and uh, inclusivity and, you know, how to create a safe space while still, you know, wanting to thrive and be the best in the world. And I think the other way is very much sort of, I guess, the businesses and where I've been very fortunate to have spent time in, in a lot of different corporate environments is can learn around teamwork, you know, mm-hmm. how to uh, you know, make teams take uh, what sort of attitudes and what sort of uh, sacrifices need to be made. You know, there's there's a few and uh, things around sport and around generally in life is like, and you have it all, you've got to treat everyone the same uh, and in a sporting environment and you've got to treat everyone with respect as human beings, but you never end up, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, skills and abilities, you've got different characters, you've got different human beings. Mm. We're all different and we're all so unique in our different ways uh you know um and it's trying to find the ways to get the best out of everyone but then how does that fit into a team environment um and you know things like not you have your values you have your non-negotiables within a team culture and yes you might have a you know a maverick and stuff and how do you I guess, incorporate a maverick within a team culture to get the best out of them, but yet still make sure that maverick doesn't have a negative effect on uh, the rest of the team. And these are things because, you know, you're going to have that outstanding, talented person in a corporate environment that might not be the most punctual, might not, you know, be the most easy to get them to listen and buy in. But when they get to work, they're, you know, they work at a level that not many people can reach. Mm. And I guess, you know, how do you incorporate that? But where is the line? Because ultimately, you're only as good as your, you know, your team and everyone plays a part within that. So yeah, I think there's a lot of crossovers within, I guess, cultures and team environments, but then just stuff like this, really, you know, ultimately sports people have got to go into the real world at some point, right? And that real world is this world. Um, so I think making them connections early and finding finding ways to develop while they're playing, yeah. but also from a business point of view, being able to provide that opportunity for for them. So, you know, I guess in a way you're giving back to people that have had to sacrifice, you know, their childhood, their, uh, you know, their learning phase of their life to be, to excel, to represent a badge, to represent their countries and using their skills now within here and, tr- you know, trying to see how that can cross over. I think there's a lot of crossovers and it's, you know, it's actually quite lovely because, most people, um, you know, in an office job, they, they, they love having that hour, two hours where they can just interact with sports people and get different perspectives and learn from. So, yeah, it's something I've really enjoyed. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to quite a few in the, the, I've had quite a few guests actually in um, ex-Paralympian, ex-Olympian ice skater, and all of them have talked about the identity struggle from going from, it's just the sport consumes them into the real world and how much that affects them mentally 
How was that for you? And then I imagine with everything else that was going on at the time, added a lot more. Yeah, it's it, it's something that, you know, I think, again, it gets talked to us. It does get spoken to us yeah. a few times, but it's never, the support is never, and the understanding and the development is never there while we're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not sufficient enough. Um, mm. So when it happens, and it happens for different people at different times, you know, it happens to some people that will have achieved everything they wanted to, and have got, you will know exactly what they're going into. That will happen to some people where, for me, it happened at a very young age and it happened through, um, and it happened twice. You know, uh, I left Yorkshire in 2014. Uh, I was struggling mentally. Uh, I'd started taking antidepressants and I didn't know why. Obviously, later on, you know, I've got to why I was struggling yeah. then. And, but I was really, really struggling and I didn't know what to do. What do I do after that? You know, I've, assign my first contract at 17 um you know the path was to england you know i've uh, england 19 captain at world cup and everything and then all of a sudden uh, i was really struggling mentally and uh, i was out of a contract um out of work you know i've been self-sufficient all my life i uh, had lots of resp- family responsibilities myself so to lose all that in uh, in a click of the finger and then like right what do i do and it does, you know, there was a period of my life where they want to get out of bed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and this is 2014, 15, um, you know, I went weeks uh, where from a pure financial point of view where, you know, putting petrol in the car was uh, challenging and, you know, you feel ashamed, you feel useless, you feel like you're letting everyone down. Um, so, you know, all lot of them feelings and I won't be the only person that's gone through that. Mm. Uh, and I wouldn't have been the first and I definitely won't be the last. So, you know, went through all of that and they're, they're challenges, they're real challenges. But, you know, if there was what a few words to describe me as a person, you know, I've got a lot of resilience and, you know, I'm, I'm actually a very glass half full, so I'll get out and find a way. But, you know, within that, I, you know, there's been a lot of learnings for me around mental health and it's a passion of mine mm. now and how our mind can stop us doing a lot uh, but at the same time how our mind uh, in its you know strongest way can help us achieve something that most people won't think is achievable so I guess for me it was a real sort of learning phase and at that time I actually I came to Dubai in 2014-15 um, and I was coaching here cricket to be mm. honest I wish I stayed I wish I never went <laughs> left but uh, you know cricket was all I knew and then I had the opportunity to go back and, you know, get back into professional cricket, which is what I did. But yeah, it, it, it was tough. Um, but it, it did give me that 2014-15 gave me, I guess, uh, some reality of real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, that stayed within me. So that when, I, when I went back, I was more than just a cricketer. I was more, uh, you know, I was a bit more rounded, I would say. I was a bit, I was a more mature yeah, And then that second phase of my career, that second, that 2016 to 2018, you know, I guess I was more aware of things. And this is where I started, I guess, raising the issues of, you know, racism. Um, and then in 2018, I lost my son. I spoke about racism internally and then Yorkshire got rid of me. So it, second time around, it was even more brutal because it happened with following the loss of my son. Um, this time it floored me. It completely floored me. I left the country. I went to Pakistan. I said, I'm never coming back. You know, I lost all faith in humanity. This was, you know, these were people I spent 
best part of a decade and a half growing up. You know, mm-hmm. my mum had cooked food for them. You know, they'd stayed at my house. And the way I got treated around the loss of my son really floored me. Um, so I went, but then, even then, consciously or subconsciously, it was my mind. I knew where my head was at. And I was in no fit state to do anything. So I went off to Pakistan. I was there. You know, I slowly tried to recover myself, help my wife recover, slowly, slowly. Um, and then, you know, early 2019, went back to the UK. And, you know, to be honest, that first, and then my wife got pregnant again. And that second pregnancy, but that, you know, was just that, that 12 months was just nine months was just about getting to the end point safely. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, just trying to do whatever possible just to keep surviving, really. It was survival mode, but just building myself back. And then, you know, we had a beautiful boy in July 2019. And then I wanted to go back and play cricket again because, yeah. you know, that is all I've known. And I didn't have any, I didn't know what else I wanted to do and stuff. So these were, like, I guess, two points where it hit really hard. Mm. And then going into 2020, you know, I got myself really fit and I was going to go and get back into it. And then COVID happened. And I think that was a massive moment for a lot of people. I think we were all locked up. Um, you know, it was time for self-reflection, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, time to take a pause. In a way, I, you know, not knowing what COVID was at the start, um, in, I was grateful for just, you know, off the treadmill a little bit. Because, I, you know, I'd been, I guess from 2014 onwards, I've been, you know, just fighting. Yeah. You know, fighting to get my career back, got my career back. Then, you know, we lost our son and then lost my career again. And then, you know, just fighting for survival, just recovering from that, which, you know, I don't think you ever recover from really. Mm. So, you know, all that reflection um, and then Black Lives Matter happened. But this is where the thing happened, really. The second transition for me, food was a passion. COVID happened. I had a lot of friends that were working in the NHS. Um, you know, we decided to cook some food for them, cook some curries uh, and, you know, deliver for them uh, every weekend. And then, you know, we thought, why don't we sell some and raise money for hospice and other key workers? So that grew and grew. And then, you know, that turned into I opened the tea business, an Asian tea business. And that's where I had my interview, where I got asked a question around whether I'd ever suffered racism or prejudice um, and I got emotional and I guess I said a little bit and then from there on I think the last couple of years has been pretty you know in the public eye so I've had transitioned twice and now I'm into my I guess third transition because uh, not going deep into the whole racism stuff but you know towards the end I guess it when it got so big the you know I got threats a lot of death threats my family house got attacked quite a lot and which feels surreal even talking about it even mm. now and even when I speak to people I think like oh, they must think that I'm exaggerating this but unless you've lived it and it, I was living that and you know I was having people watching my house and stuff and I you know I made that decision to speak out so anything that's it, it's not nice being attacked in the streets and stuff like that and being abused on social media but if it's to me you know what I'll take it but when it was starting to happen to my parents and my family and, you know, kids were getting to school age and I thought I need to protect their um, psychological safety as well as, you know, physical safety. Yeah. And, you know, I made the decision um, in roundabout ways. I've ended up in Dubai. Dubai wasn't the choice. Uh, I've ended up here and I've, I've loved every second of yeah. this, this phase of my transition. And now, you know, 
just the love I've received from Dubai, uh, the people here, um, you know, everyone's been so, I think it's a hugely different to the UK, so collaborative, wanted to sort of work together. Yeah. And I think the energy of excellence, I guess, you know, because you've got no choice here, right? You've got to get out there. Everyone's in the same boat and, you know, it's always evolving. And that, I think the energy of wanting to be excellent and that sort of vibe is gives me it's more or less replaced my buzz of professional sport in a big way mm. i mean for me it's been a massive buzz yeah. like i've been i've been getting out there meeting new people uh, and everyone's been so like i'll oh, meet this person meet this you know before you know it you you know you're sat in rooms uh, having discussions on a level that you you know you never thought you would uh, and that's where it brings me back to uh, you know i've signed i'm a consultant at mdr mayfair uh, which is all about athlete care, transitioning, brand, uh, and helping them learn all this, what I'm learning now, while they're still playing, and also capitalizing on uh, the fact that they have got a public you know, public figure right now. And while, while they have a bigger identity, working out how we can collaborate the individuals with businesses. And I guess something that I feel are very fortunate to be in, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to have had the platform to speak at your Google and GQ heroes, these types of places. And it's happened, you know, without any sort of, I guess, me going into it. But exactly. imagine having active planning behind it, a strategy behind it, and going into it. I think I would have capitalized threefolds of mm. what I've done. So trying to, I guess, get um, players to do that now uh, is, is incredibly exciting. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, and lucky to be here. Yeah. What what advice would you have for someone that is in sporting or in the sporting world and not thinking about their personal brand or their next steps? I think for me, you're a lot more than uh, just a cricketer or, you know, I always look at Marcus Rashford as an example. Um, he could have been just another Man United striker and there's been lots of them. And while they're playing, absolutely, they're loved and, you know, Everything is about, you know, the world revolves around them. But there's been a lot that have finished that we don't even know about. So, you know, there's going to be a point where what are you going to do next? What is your identity now? Look, some people want a quiet life and they want to go away and yeah. that thingy. But even then, you can use personal branding and stuff in a way that you can have a quieter life, but still excel, you know, because you're going to have more than 30 odd years before retirement. So that, and, you know, what he did, uh, and he fought for a cause, right? He fought for a cause. He fought for children at a time. And he stood up against the most powerful people in the country. And he's, for me, I will always remember him as someone who, in the pandemic, fought for children to make sure they, they were fed. And he put himself in the background to do that. And he got so much abuse for a period of time where his football wasn't excelling. You know, every week you say, oh, just stick to football, this, that, the other. And now it's football in the last year and a half. This is where I think the biggest thing is. So he did that very, uh, for me, a social thing, activism, stood up, made his, you know, sports people have a voice way bigger than everyone else yeah. uh, and a platform. And he used that platform to help others, which is amazing. But his football was not excelling in the way Man United would want or he would have want while he was doing that. And he was getting, you know, a lot... But now it's click where he's continued to do that and his football is excelling beyond belief, right? So he is now to put the two together. He has a brand where, 
you know, I'm sure there are massive, massive cobras that will literally want anything to be associated with him. Mm. And, you know, in so many ways, and, you know, he's got these books that have come out, uh, you know, children's books and stuff. So from a point of view of when he finishes football, got this, you know, what I'm doing on a, on a scale, which on a massive scale, he's got, he'll have corporate speaking if he wants to do that. He'll have brand partnerships, which, um, which will go in a way that, you know, sustain for a long period of time. Again, another example, and I think this is another huge example for sports people is having right support and advice around them. Because a lot of sports people were either badly advised or no advice. Yeah. Uh, and that takes us down. Uh, we make mistakes and that t- gets us in trouble in different places. Uh, just because we've, goes back to that, I guess that initial bit, we sacrificed our growing up part. Mm-hmm. So, and you look at Roger Pedra, and towards the back end of his career, he signed that deal with Kulo, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, where instead of having a figure, a yearly figure, which he could have had for the next six, you know, till, the, till he dies, he went and had, got equity. Mm. Kulo ended up becoming a listed company, and financially it's been the biggest, you know, one of the biggest financial transactions of his whole career, and that was right at the end where he made that smart move well-advised move and it's you know getting sports people to understand actually that for you to sustain that life you're going to have to be a more than just your runs and wickets because when that finishes you will finish Mm. um so yeah i think get the right advice around you get professional advice get paid advice another mistake sports people make is you know people offer stuff free and we take it actually what happens with that is there's no accountability yeah um, Obviously, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. Well, you know, look, it's, it's, I'm not saying it, everyone, when they yeah. do it for free, they don't pay. But ultimately, there's no accountability. Yeah. Right? You can never well, it's go it's a different back, value. Different value, right? And also, when you pay for something, you know, you, you, the person, it's it's important to appreciate that, you know, it's that person's years of work. And coming into this world now, appreciating value and mm-hmm. uh, it's something that, you know, I'm learning more and more of. and. With that comes professionalism. Yeah. So you get the top advice and don't, you know, don't cut the corners on that because later down the line, later down the line, you can end up unraveling and it becomes really difficult to unravel, you know, silly mistakes. And that's where, you know, the MDR Mayfair um, stuff is around, you know, financial advice, how you're setting your brand up, but then, you know, really making sure you give that some thought while you're playing because the one thing we do have is a lot of time, especially cricketers. Mm-hmm. we have a lot of spare time um and what i found even while i was playing is when i did other stuff it i actually performed better so Ooh. it's a really great way to switch off because okay. it gives you a different purpose you don't go wake up in the morning brush your teeth thinking about where you're going to ball the ball drive thinking about where you're going to drop ball the ball when you're bowling the ball thinking about where you're going to ball the ball go home and before you know it, it can consuming. become quite consuming mm. and i i struggled with because i'm an all or nothing person i struggled with switching off so it can be a quite a nice way to switch off to have i guess uh something else and you know the power of some of these platforms linkedin most of my corporate speaking come directly from linkedin you know people have got in touch directly from linkedin i think from and i would encourage all professional sports people to have linkedin because that's a platform where you're accessing corporates mm-hmm. Instagram and all the others have different different um, 
I guess, pros and cons to it. But that one, you're directly accessing, uh, you know, the top, you know, it's an incredible platform where you can get contact details and you can be in touch directly to the top of an organization. And I guess it creates access, which, you know, in the past, you you won't get because people keep it blocked. Uh, so LinkedIn is a great platform. And, uh, you know, I think uh, you, you were talking about uh, this being a gap, even yourself, I think LinkedIn masterclasses and how to make best use of LinkedIn is is something for sports people in a huge way. Yeah, I think the, the, the big question that I have around all of this and got to branding and the journey and the evolution was, what was the defining moment or what was it that made you go, I've had enough of this and I'm speaking out? Yeah, to be honest, again, like I said, it happened. It happened by accident when you had the interview. When when I had the interview, but when I lost my son um, and the way I got treated around that, uh, just before I left in 2018, I had a meeting with the director, cricket CEO, the PCA, and and you know there was encouragement for me to sign a confidentiality form and um, you know get a chunk of. A chunk of money that which would have helped me through the next phase, uh, but that would have stopped me ever being able to speak. And I refused that uh, because deep down I knew I wanted to speak about this. I just did not expect to speak for it to happen how it did, yeah, and to happen when it did. When I spoke, I was in no fit position. I, I was only just starting to build myself back. I was in no fit position financially, work wise, mentally. Uh, you know, just literally and. Uh, you know, I spoke out August 2020. Uh, so, you know, my wife was pregnant with a second child uh, and she was due in November. So I was in no fit position to speak. So where it happened were quite accidental. Yeah. But the way I got treated around the loss of my son um, and the inhuman nature of that was for me enough. Uh, and people even like, you know, I'm only 32 and like, why don't you play or why don't you? That, that has left such a mark on me on a human level that I don't feel like I want, you know, I've got to a point where I want to get involved in the broadcasting side and down the line, you know, I'm a level four, down the line I want, want to do coaching and stuff. But that's put such a block on me uh, into from just from a human level that, um, you know, I guess my, I still love the game. Mm-hmm. I adore cricket. It's been my life. It's given me a lot of good times as well as bad. But the people around the game, um, you know, it's, it's something I'm still internally you know, uh, not sure that I want to be around um, consistently. And yeah, I think that that's how it happened really by accident. But it was something I was always going to speak about because I think there comes a moment in your life where, you know, you realize that there's more to life than just yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, you know, you've got to look past your nose a little bit. And, you know, I found, I guess I found purpose in, um the fact that I'd seen all this, I'd experienced it. And, you know, I wasn't someone that played for a year and didn't make it. I played, you know, I played, uh, I'm a cap player at Yorkshire, you know, England 19 captain. And I've I've tried to stay away from talking about my cricket through the last two years because, mm-hmm. you know, it's been such a, it's, it's become such a fight in the end, which is, again, not what I wanted. But, you know, I achieved a lot in the game. And again, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But I saw a lot that I felt was on a human level completely wrong and it's destroying lives and something had to be done. Um, And I guess, yeah, I was the one stupid enough to put my head above the parapet. What would you say to, because I think there's probably two questions on that. What would you say to someone who wants to speak out, who's scared? 
But I, I think that, you know, with the personal brand piece, being authentic to you is a huge part of that. But so many people are scared and they don't. What would you say to someone? Yeah, again, it's been, it's a question I've had lots and lots of people have contacted me um, feeling exactly what mm. you've just said. And you know what? It's important that I be honest with them uh, because I can't, I can't sell them down a path uh, that it's going to be all rosy because yeah. it isn't. It, it really isn't. And, you know, even today, like even at the minute, right, I battle with a lot of things uh, because of speaking out and, you know, and it's difficult. Unfortunately, we're a long way away from organizations um, understanding how to deal with grievances. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you talk about what do I speak about when I go, a lot of the corporate stuff I do is around helping leaders, helping corporates understand that, you know, when that first point of grievance comes, it's so important. It's probably the most vital point. You handle that with, as a human with compassion, with care, and try and put yourself in the person struggling's shoes. Mm -hmm. Not only will you be able to handle it well uh, and it not end up in a car crash, you'll also have a positive effect on them and the rest of your organization. So that's a lot of what I do now to try and get that side to understand and learn from Yorkshire's mistakes. And to say we're a million miles away from that would be an understatement in different places, yeah. in sport, and, but in some places, in corporate, some corporates, you absolutely, you know, it's a lot further. But going back to that person, look, I, w I would tell them very simply what it looks like. You know, it, it destroys you from inside. There's not, it's not just what's happening outside, you know, you become paranoid, you become set, you know, you do become like really sensitive to a lot of things. Times where I was driving, thinking that there was someone sat next to me talking to me, you know, I was walking down the street thinking I was going to get killed, you know, um, a place I called home for 21 years, I've had to leave because, you know, my safety could not be uh, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. You know, I had 24 seven security for two, three months. So this is the reality. So, I'm, and it's important that I share that with them. Yeah. But what I would say to them is if you do choose to go down that road, you'll have one more person than I had supporting you and I'll support you 100% and be there for you. Because the one thing, as much as I'm doing the corporate work, work and that's to try and get them to understand what it's like to be here. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I feel like I've, I have this ability to be able to sit right at the bottom of our society and sit with people there and you know i can relate to stuff there and i can sit in rooms with chairs and ceos and you know speak unfiltered directly to them without uh, because I, you know ultimately i'm i'm trying to do the right thing as a human being and try and understand what these people go through uh, in that phase but just saying to them look i'll support you and you know lot, like i said a lot of people have and initially i struggle with this because i just try to support everyone i'm not professional you know, yeah. and there's so many different facets of this. But then what I got to is I, I started, um, you know, through the network I built up, if some, you know, if someone needed mental health support, I, I you know, got the mental health support. If someone needed legal support, uh, you know, I tried to help arrange that for them. So I ended up, you know, getting better in helping them more professionally uh, and getting them the right professional support. And so I wasn't carrying everyone else's um, trauma with me as well. But it's something that's been challenging. But, you know, the reality is, Everyone has all these campaigns and it, you know, same again with mental health, you know, campaign, it's okay to talk, but it's not, you know, you, you're, you're not. And for me, it's very important authenticity. Uh, and people asked me very early on when I spoke up, what do you want at the end of this? 
And actually, although I spoke on the race issue, the things that are most passionate to me are mental health, Mm -hmm. mental health in South Asians, Mm -hmm. mental health in men, because, you know, I came and wanted to keep this very positive, but we'll, you know, I nearly killed myself twice uh, from 2013 onwards with the stuff I was struggling with. So I've seen that, you know, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there in a really, really dark places. So that was one. Second was, um, you know, around child loss, baby loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when I spoke about that at DCMS, so many people contacted me who have gone through similar. And, you know, it's, it's very isolating. It's, it's a very lonely place and practically very difficult. And, you know, I had... I guess the brutal aspect of it is around that time, my workplace was even worse. So, you know, and but people will have that, but it's practically supporting them and I guess creating a community of support. And third and finally was, you know, cricket is my love, trying to, trying to use my platform and yeah. trying to use my voice to create opportunities. Because look, as much as we'd love to, not going to get rid of racism out of our society. You're not going to completely get rid of it. You can make little changes and you can hopefully, you're moving the dial forward. But what hopefully can do is create more opportunities for marginalized communities, for people of color, you know, and also in in England with cricket, one of the biggest sufferers are white working class. So there's real issues. Cricket, you know, there was a report recently, an ICEC report commissioned that, you know, that was pretty damning that cricket's institutionally racist, uh, sexist, misogynist, and, you know, class-based discrimination. So now for me, whether cricket does or not, I'm trying to use my platform uh, and what I've learned um, and bring some of the corporates together and, you know, test some of them, test their words uh, into action and, you know, hopefully create this nice, uh, I guess, opportunity piece, you know, for cricketers initially in the UK, but then there's no reason why that can't be replicated around the world. What's next for you? So you mentioned a book that's coming out. Yeah, so we, I mean, we signed this book actually before this became like huge in a way it has. So it's been a bit difficult. It was supposed to come out uh, April this year, but... You had to go back and edit it. Yeah, I mean, the stories just kept going. So we were trying to write the book while the story was live. Then August, we pushed it to August. And then this report came out and there was too important not to miss. So now we're going to miss the Christmas market, but we're looking at early next year. Um, We're there, we're nearly there is completed um you know there's few facets that i'm still sort of deciding how because look it's going to be an uncomfortable book yeah um and you know and i'm a human at the end of the day and there's a lot of times i put my i sacrifice a lot of my own feelings to for the bigger cause uh, but you know i'm constantly being attacked uh and i feel that you know i'm constantly being attacked and uh, to this day it's i've not you know i've not put a lot of the documents in the public domain yeah um, you know, cause we've got board minutes, we've got, you know, email chains where, um, you know, where, which proves my point. Uh, there's a reason why at every investigation and at every point I've been vindicated. But there's a large p- portion of UK media and um, some self-appointed free speech uh, writers that um, just don't want to believe me. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm contemplating at this point, putting some of them documents within the book, uh, which will make it more punchy. Uh, but, um, I'm a human, uh, with a heart who's, um, you know, constantly being attacked and I just, um, so I'm just trying to get the balance of that. Uh, but you know, ultimately I hope the book is going to give a full picture because there's been, and I think it's been done on purpose. There's been so much mud thrown 
that people have lost the actual reality of what took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I hope that will, but I think it will show as well, hopefully some solutions as to where we go from here, because that's the most important thing. So that's one thing, but you know, I, uh, I want to be a broadcaster, you know, I, and I've been doing some, I've been again, very fortunate. I've been doing some with uh, Dubai I 103.8 here. Uh, we've got the cricket world cup next month. Um, and then, you know, so hopefully, uh, cricket broadcasting as a sort of, you know, fun element of my life, the long term and the give back element, hopefully the, the give back, you know, creating opportunities for people in cricket, um, Mm -hmm. and the passion is, uh, mental health and child loss. So yeah. I've got like quite diverse stuff uh, that I'm doing and, you know, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying part, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. I'm learning along the way and, you know, the business of sport again, through the MDR Mayfair stuff. And I've only been doing that for three months. I've enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got involved in commercial transactions, which I never thought I would. Uh, and I've, I've really enjoyed that. So, you know, media aspects, some corporate speaking, corporate yeah. workshops and leadership pieces, and then just trying to kick away at the larger piece of creating opportunities for people within cricket. Yeah, Thank you so much for sharing your story, being open, being vulnerable. I think that's a, it's, it's hard to, to be open and, and share the things that we don't want everyone to know, but knowing that it has such an impact on everyone else so I just want to say thank you so much oh, thanks for having me and also you know I just want to like people when they go through dark times and then get to the other side and they'll talk about you know if I can you can and that's something I really struggle with with people if I, if I can you can but I just want people to really you know you can end up in difficult situations in dark places but the power of your mind genuinely be kind to yourself go through that phase listen to your mind because you know there was a phase um where i didn't want to get out of bed but fundamentally there are good people out there who will support you uh, and you just need to find them uh and th- there is and I, again through all the bad that's happened and this is a point that everyone cuts out so hopefully you you're not going to edit it out i feel incredibly fortunate the support i received has been above and beyond. I've had the most amazing professional support. I had PR support in the UK. Uh, you know, I had a legal support pro bono from Mishkon Derea. You know, I had a barrister um, who supported me for three years pro bono, you know. And then even this next phase of my life, I've had so many great people, um, you know, support me. So there are people out there. If you, you know, if you need help, you just reach out. People yeah. will help you. So, you know, and I know it's difficult to ask for help, but we're all human beings struggling in our own ways, fighting our own challenges. But, you know, once you speak to each other, they can become a lot easier. Thank you so much. I always like to end the show. I've got a couple of questions here. Um, Pick anything out the deck. They're random cards, Um, lighthearted. So pick a couple and let's see what you answer. Right. What do we have? If I could whisper something in the ear of my younger self, I would say this is a great question for me. The one thing I regret is I, there was a period of time where I let go of my values and my beliefs and my religion. And I, you know, I did things to fit in to, because my dream was, I want to be the best in the world. I want to play for England. I was, you know, I'll run for 20 miles. I'll, you know, I won't go to events. I will sleep on time, eat properly to do that. And I was ready to run through a brick wall. And unfortunately, um, through a, through a period of time, um, you know, within that environment, I compromise my own values and my religion and my belief. And 
if there was one thing I could whisper to myself is just stay strong on that. There's nothing bigger than your own. And I guess it comes back to this as well, authenticity, your own values, your own beliefs. Uh, and, you know, be strong enough in that. You know what? It, people who want to be part of your journey, fine. People who don't, that's fine as well. Yeah. Everyone's got a right to decide their own. So that would be uh, the one thing I would uh, whisper to myself. Good question. Very good one for me. I lose all willpower when it comes to... Um, I think, again, you know, for me... I. So I've had all of this external abuse, external challenges, external, and, you know, people have seen me as brave, courageous and stuff. And actually I find if people from the outside go at me, I find that very easy. Yeah. I'll stand up for myself all the way. You know, I'm act I'm a lover, but if you fight me, I'll stand up and fight. Uh, but it's when it comes from internally, when it comes for people I trust, uh, people, because I'm an all, like I'm an all or nothing. So I give, you know, I'll, any relationship, whatever that is, I give it all. Uh, and sometimes when I don't get that back in return and, you know, I get let down by people, uh, I get quite emotional. And I, you know, I get quite hurt quite quickly as well. So, yeah, I think that would, that would be, I get hurt uh, if I don't get the same, I guess, people buy into a emo- relationship that I give. Amazing. How can people find you? What's your social media platforms? What are you most active on? Yeah, um, Instagram, uh, Azim Rafiq 30, Twitter, Azim Rafiq 30, LinkedIn, um, you know, LinkedIn, I actively try and use as much as possible, mm-hmm. uh, Azim Rafiq on there. So yeah, they're, they're the ones, but Instagram, I'm trying to be more active on because I mean, how can you not, you've got, you wherever you go, is just beautiful. And you know, it's not even about like showing off or anything. It's just generally like, I'm so thankful to be in such a beautiful place and I just want to share it so yeah Instagram for that but yeah some of the so I guess the work stuff um, um, LinkedIn very much so um, and yeah across them platforms brilliant thank you for coming today thank you thanks for having me did you enjoy this episode if you did then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time. Bye.